thanks for checking out this message from Springmount Church. For more information about us and what we do, visit our website, springmount.church. Why not check out all the different groups that run throughout each week in Barrow and on Walney? And join us every Sunday from 11am at Salt House Pavilion in Barrow Infernos. If you would like us as a church to pray for you, please email prayer at springmount.church or sign up on our website for monthly news straight to your inbox. Good morning, church. I do believe I was described as gentle then. I want that to be recorded. Um, written in the annals of history, I can carry that round with me, show it to everyone. Someone said that I am gentle. Wow, that's amazing. Thank you. Well done, guys. Well done. It's great to be um, among you again. I'm starting to believe that there is no such person as Johnny Harrison. Uh, sorry? Ah, that's <laughs> I think it's the last four times that I've come. So I'm choosing not to be offended that he chooses to not be here every time I'm here. But apart from that, it's great to be with you. I've been thinking a lot about time recently. I don't know whether it's once you get to 30 years of age, um, all right, maybe a bit later, uh, 35, that you just start thinking about time. Is that your experience? You just become more conscious of it? Because I was driving in here today um, from Kendall, and do we still call it Piggy Lane? Right, okay. Something hasn't changed in Barrow. And um, I was driving past Piggy Lane. I was remembering all those long summers that myself and my friends would just spend there. And I remember one summer that we got those big inflatable um, tubes from tractor tires. And we decided it was a good idea to get into them and be pushed from the top of Piggy Lane down the slope, down. The only thing that would stop you would be the wall, yeah? That seemed like a good idea, but do you remember when you were young and days just seemed endless and life was this big expanse in front of you that would just go on and on and on? And I was reflecting on that and then reflecting on time again. I remember I was in York on Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday this week and I thought, ah, I think I'll... Um, with work, so I had an evening to myself. I didn't have to get special permissions as to what I would do in that evening. And it was like, I think I'll go and watch a new Mission Impossible film. Okay, anyone seen it yet? You guys are just so holy, aren't you? Just like two of you. I feel all sinful now, having gone and seen Mission Impossible. And I, I, I looked on my phone as to where the nearest cinema was, and I ended up doing like a 50-minute round-trip walk into the cinema and back, which isn't a problem. York's a beautiful city. But when I arrived back at the hotel, I walked past the entrance. I missed it. And right next to the cinema, the next building was an Odeon. <laughs> and I was thinking, wow, okay. 45 minutes of my time taken. That's okay. It's nice. But I'm thinking about time a lot. And this morning, as I was driving down here, I thought I'd give my son a call, make sure he was okay for work. He said, yeah, I'm fine, Dad. I don't start until 9. And it was 8.35. And it takes 27 minutes for him to get to work. I said, Alex, it is 25 to 9. He went, oh, boo! <laughs> and I just got a text that 
came through my phone. He gets me from every direction. Thanks, Dad. (laughs) So time is everywhere. And increasingly, I can't speak for you. I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about the implications of it. And then when I was given this passage of scripture for today, it kind of started to bring it home even more. And my heart for us today is that we see God more clearly because he governs the affairs of men. And he's governed every step. He's overseen every step. And he's been with you every second of the way. And it is a wonderful thing to come to that realization. I googled this, so it's definitely true, okay? So worldwide average life expectancy, this may be interesting news for some of us, worldwide, not UK, not Europe, is 71 worldwide. So those of you who are doing your quick calculations right now thinking, how many seconds is that? Save yourself. You don't need to worry about it. I've got the answer here. Okay. That means that if you lived the average life, is there such a thing? You would have 2,240,543,592 seconds in your life. Sounds a lot, doesn't it? If you've been at church for 90 minutes today, you've spent 5,400 of them. Yeah. And well spent, correct. But time just keeps on ticking, doesn't it? It keeps on ticking. And the call on you and I is to redeem that time, is to then make the most of that time, to make that time count. So that when the accounting is done, at the end of our days, it will be found worthy and it will be something that your future eternal self will thank you for. So my heart today is that for some of us whose hearts and minds are open, God, by his spirit, will do a work in us which may be a corrective work. Yeah? It may be a, a redirecting work, a reroute. Because maybe some of us are not spending our time very well. Have you ever noticed, there's this thing called Instagram, you might have heard of it, yeah, some of you. Have you ever noticed when you just start the, they call it the death scroll now, don't they? Time and space disappears. And then before you know it, it's like, wow, we have to govern our time better. There's so many distractions. So we're looking at Ecclesiastes 3. And there's no book inside or outside of the Bible like Ecclesiastes. The preacher, likely Solomon, writes this book in order to analyze every activity under the heavens or in other versions, life under the sun. And he's looking at these for any lasting meaning, joy, and purpose. And this is an important note as we come to read the scripture today in a moment. When it talks in the, King, in the NIV version about every activity under the heavens, or in other versions, life under the sun, what he's talking about is a life apart from God. A life apart from God. I want you to just hold that in your mind, and we'll reapply that as we go on. And his answer of every activity under the heavens without God is that it's all vanity, meaningless, 
There's no more substance than a breath of air. All who live will die. Most will be forgotten. And those who are remembered, what gain does that remembrance bring them in the grave? That's what he's talking about. And Ecclesiastes 3 begins with one of the most famous poems of the Bible. The poem ponders on the back and forth, give and take of nature of time. Good things happen as well as bad things. Some seasons of life are pleasant, while others are bitter. This is simply how life works, and no one is exempt from life's shifting rhythms of time. And up to this point, in the previous chapters... Solomon has described his journey to find meaning through wisdom and knowledge. But despite having wisdom, despite having knowledge, which are very good things, Solomon found that they still left him none the more satisfied. Then since knowledge and wisdom failed him, Solomon saw the opposite. He decided to just do whatever he wanted, folly, He partied, spent, lived a grander life than any man had ever lived. He decided, right, I'm just going to see what it's like if I just do whatever my heart wants to my heart's content, pursue all the pleasures that I can, and then I want to see what that's like and how I feel as a result of that. Does that give me purpose or meaning? I tried wisdom. I tried knowledge. I tried just going hard after pleasure and fun and he comes to the conclusion that it's all just vanity outside of God so the third chapter kicks off with a poem of seven verses and Solomon provides a thesis for this poem right from the beginning and he says everything has its time and place everything there is a plan there is order And if we allow ourselves to live life from God's perspective, we will see that. I remember when I was 16, and uh, I did a paper round from the age of 11 onwards, so it qualified me absolutely to apply for a job with the post office, yeah? And this was the extent of the thinking I, I, I gave it when I went for the interview. I'm letting you into some kind of deep places here, guys, so just be gentle with me. This is the extent of my preparation. I did paper rounds. I'm good for this. And that was it. And I remember walking into the interview, probably looking quite scruffy and a bit nervous because at 16, you know, that's that's stepping out a little bit. No preparation or anything, no real thought. And they asked me, why do you want to do this job? And I went, "Um, I did a paper round. I did lots of paper. I delivered the advertiser, (laughs) the evening mail, and all in between. And he said, right, okay, but why, why else? And I just didn't have anything to say. And in my mind, I was convinced I was going to get this job. I didn't want to go down the vicar shipbuilding route. Sorry, everyone. Didn't want to fall into that and then end up. So post office seemed obvious. And then about two days later, I got a letter being unsuccessful. And for a number of years, that really disappointed me. I thought, you didn't give it any thought. You didn't prepare You just went in cack-handed and look what happened as a result. And it wasn't until I came to faith in my early 20s that I realized that actually that wasn't God's plan for me. Although there was deep disappointment, that wasn't the plan. He he didn't want postman ram men. 
he, 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 he didn't want that for me. He had another plan, and it involved me going to university in Preston. It involved other things and meeting my wife there who'd lead me to the Lord. He had a plan. And so often when we look back through our lives, some of the biggest disappointments to us are actually God saying, no, we're going to redirect, yeah? You're, you're going hard after this because you feel it's right in your own eyes, but I see the bigger picture, and I have the eternal picture in mind, so I'm going to redirect it for you. And you'll feel a bruise, but one day, hopefully, you'll understand why. And we'll all have stories like that, and hopefully we can see that God has his hand on your affairs. Yeah? Yeah? You know, when you use your, your GPS on your phone or whatever in the car, does anyone still have a TomTom? Yeah, good man, keeping it. Do you have a record player at home as well, or one of those megaphones? Right, okay. So, um, so you've, you've got your GPS and you're set off on the route, and it's like, right, okay, it takes me this long to get in, you're driving, and then bizarrely, you just take a wrong left somewhere. It always has that kind of the wheel turning sort of thing, and it kind of recalculating. Mind slight starts to get irritated with me. I can tell in the voice. And, um, but that's what God is often doing with us, because we just chase after this, and we go after that, and we maybe waste our time on this, and always he's kind of like hitting the reset, recalculating, I'm going to bring you back. And we can take great comfort in that, but sometimes we don't need to take these other routes and we've wasted valuable time. I really want God to speak to us in this today because I want your life to count. I want my life to count. I want when the scales are weighed for it to have meant something. Otherwise, why? So let's read the passage. It was a big introduction, wasn't it? Okay, Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1. A time for everything. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. Let's just pause there for a moment. So one thing that's really important, just to understand as we're saying this, this isn't um, Solomon saying that you'll have to kill and that you'll have to go to war. Solomon is almost looking at it as an academic study of all the fullness of life. And what he's done there is encapsulated all the different things that he will have seen in life, yeah? So that isn't the Bible saying, go and kill someone, yeah? Just to be clear, it's encapsulating all the different elements of life. But we do have this fascination with time. 
And he's talking about the time and the seasons. And there's one thing that's certain, things just don't stay the same, do they? Yeah. They just don't stay the same. I was just remembering fondly the other day, the cinema as used to be on the main road there in Barrow. Does anyone remember the old, what, what did they call it? What was the cinema? Sorry? The Astra. the Astra. That was an astounding building. Yeah, if you think back about it. And what is there now? Is it council offices? Furnace Building Society. Nothing stays the same. Things change. If you were to do a quick Google search on movies around time, it's an endless list with time being a theme. Interstellar, Tenet, Time Machine, Hot Tub Time Machine. I haven't seen that, but it was on the list. Um, time Cop, About Time, Time Traveler's Wife, Back to the Future, big favorite, okay? <laughs> But the list goes on and on. And often what we can see in the movies, if you don't like them or not, I understand that. But um, it's kind of like the spirit of the age comes through the movies. It's like, what is it that people are thinking about? And we see that the movie industry often reflects that. And there's a lot about time. So why the fascination? I wonder if it's because it's the one thing that we just have very little control over. Yeah. Yeah. One minute leads to an hour, a week, a month, a year's passed. Was that 10 years ago? Goodness me. And it's something that we can't control. There's nothing that we can do about the passage of time. It just happens naturally. And then the passage goes on in, in verse 9. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. I know that there is nothing better for people to be, than to be happy and to do good while they live outside of God that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so people will fear him. Whatever has already been and what will be has been before and God will call the past to account. I love verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. There's only one way that we can see the fullness of what our life is and see that as being beautiful, yeah? With the warts and all, with everything, the challenges and the tough times, is only through the grace and the goodness of God. If we view our lives as being something separate from God, we just see ourselves bumpering from one thing to another. That was a good time, that was a bad time, that was hard, that was joyous, that was full, that was empty, I was well, I was sick. And we just see it as kind of almost this random bumping around from one thing to another. But if we put God into the equation and understand that he governs our stops and our starts, then that starts to give it a whole different sense. And that only helps us look backwards and think, wow, you were there, God. You were working, God. I can see clearly now that you are there, but it also gives us great hope for what today and tomorrow holds. Because nothing surprises God. 
and he governs our affairs. So whatever tomorrow may bring, he has it in the palm of his hands. And that should give us great confidence, no matter what craziness we see happening around us. He knows. Our times are in his hands, as it says in Psalms. So what Solomon is doing, he's painting this picture, the back and forth of life. And he says, this is effectively hard. This is vain. This is meaningless outside of God. And it comes to nothing. But if you infuse God into the picture, and if you allow God to come into the picture and be the captain of your ship, you will see your past and your future much more clearly. Life doesn't make sense without God. It just doesn't. And if you're finding yourself wondering why on earth everything is going on in your life and why you're feeling like you do, maybe ask God to come in and come alongside you. Yeah? And he will give you clarity because life has no purpose outside of him. And because God has placed eternity in our hearts, then... And as we see in the creation story, God created us to be immortal. That was the plan. That's why death feels like such a violation. It feels, un have you ever thought about that? That death feels unnatural. It just doesn't seem right. It seems absolutely wrong that someone would die, a loved one. It's like, this doesn't, it's because it is wrong. It was never in the original plan. You and I, in our being, in our spirits, are immortal beings. The original design plan wasn't that we would die. That's why death is such a struggle to us, and that's okay. But Jesus is the answer, and he is the way, and he is the truth, and he is the life, and he will make sense of that. I know people who have an abject fear of death, of that whole unknown element of what will come, and that's understandable. I also know people who have an abject fear of, of being lonely and what that might look like going forward. And I remember I was once at um, uh, a prayer meeting of, of church leaders and we had to do a round the table. Don't you just love round tables? You just feel like, click, oh, that's three away from me. Click, two away. I've got to think round and think of something to say. These are all really deep and meaningful guys, like quoting scriptures. I'm there squeaking. It's going to come to me. And then just before it came to me, the senior pastor said, right, we're out of time, everyone. Thanks. And I was like, eh. so all the adrenaline was pumping. I was ready to say my profound thing, which I hadn't decided on just yet. And, and then it got cut adrift. And I was thinking, ah. And so part of me was really happy. Part of me was like, I think I had something to say. And then one of the other senior guys went, uh, Raman hasn't spoken yet. I was like, oh, so partly like I've, now I'm oh, happy, sad, glad, I don't know, but I'm going to say something. And this is what I said. I'm afraid of being alone. I wasn't married at that point. I'm afraid of being alone. And at times that loneliness visits me in a really visceral way. And I just feel like isolated even in a room full of people. And the senior pastor said to me, uh, said to some of the other guys, 
can you gather around Ramin once we've wrapped up and just pray with him? And so, very simply, they just prayed with me and they prayed that I would never feel lonely again. Simple prayer. And God's Holy Spirit came and met me in that moment. And I can say with absolute confidence now that I have never felt alone again. I am physically aware of his presence around me. I cannot explain it fully. And sometimes I forget, but if I stop long enough, I'm just aware of this gentle presence just alongside me, constantly showing me that there's a plan, there's a purpose. It's going to be okay. I am with you. I go before you, I was behind you, and I'm guiding and I'm fashioning your steps because I loved you and I died for you. And it was a phenomenal thing, and that was 25 years ago. And he's been constant, and he's been consistent with me. And he's saying, call to me. I will hear you. I will come and meet you in that place. But we are called to redeem the time, yeah? And that is actually in partnership with God. There's something that we are called to do there, not just be passive recipients, but to actively step into what the life of faith looks like and work and walk with him. Ephesians 5 in the King James Version, 15 and 16, says, See then that you walk circumspectly, that you walk carefully, thoughtfully, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because, boy, the days are evil. I added boy there, okay. The phrase redeeming the time is also found in Colossians 4, 5. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. In both passages, redeeming the time is related to wisdom in how we walk. That is how we live. If any of you lack wisdom, what does the scripture say? Yeah. So ask. If you want to be wise and walk well and redeem time, ask and it will be given to you. It will be given to you abundantly. But do we ask? I want to walk well. I want to steward my time well. I want to make good decisions going forward so that I am maximally fruitful for what you have called me to be. So time is a gift from God. And none of us know how much of it we have been allotted. When God says we should be redeeming the time, he wants us to live in the awareness, not fear of, but in the awareness of that ticking clock and make most of the time we have. And I think if we were really, really honest, we would acknowledge, maybe not before men, but certainly before God, that we do not make the best use of our time. That we do not make the best use of our time. We can make all kinds of good excuses about what we do with our time. And generally speaking, no one will challenge that, apart from my wife. And, but when all is said and done, we live, we breathe, we find our being before an audience of one. That's the only one that we have to be accountable to, really, as to what we do with our time. So however many seconds you have left, 
Live it, brothers and sisters. Drink deeply from it. Chase after God in that. Let that be your target. Because that's what you're called to be. The NIV's translation of Ephesians 5, 6, and we're nearly there, uses the phrase, making the most of every opportunity. Maybe that clarifies it. Making the most of every opportunity. I don't do this sort of thing much, and it just came to mind, but I, I, was, um, I was catching the bus from Kendall to Windermere because I couldn't get access to our car because it was during school run time, so I just sacrificed myself, laid myself down, used public transport. Yeah, I know, you're feeling for me, aren't you, yeah? And it's really good at the moment because it's just two pounds, isn't it? Is it, st- is it the case down in Barrett? Yeah, right, okay. So I, I got to the, um, the terminal in Kendall, and there was this guy in his mid-twenties, and... I'd seen him around Kendall quite a lot. He usually has like a bottle of cider with him and sometimes he's comatose, yeah? Or he looks like he's been in a fight. So, but at this point, he was kind of in his right mind, sitting next to me on the bench, waiting for the bus to come. And um, the last time I saw him, I, I tried to engage him and he was, let's say, angry back towards me. So I was just sitting there at this point I looked at him and I thought, it's that chap, isn't it? Okay, I said, hi there. And he had a bottle of cider in his hand. And he said, all right. And um, I said, you know what? I saw you a few months ago and um, you were in a pretty bad way with your drinking. Part of me is having a slightly out-of-body experience at this point, thinking, what on earth are you doing? Yeah, and there's people milling around looking at us and can actually overhear the conversation now. So there's that extra like dynamic. <laughs> and so, and, and I didn't know which way it would go, but I kind of just held my course. And I said, um, my daughter was with me and it was really quite upsetting for her and some of the things you said. And he said, oh, I'm, I'm really sorry. And you could just see genuine regret in his eyes. I said, you know, that's not going to help you, your drinking. It's not going to help you get better. And he said, yeah, I know, I know. I'm, um, I'm on the waiting list to go to a rehab clinic. And uh, yeah, I need to kick it. I said, yeah. I said, do you know what you need? And uh, it said, yeah, rehab, I just need to be determined. I said, no, you need Jesus. I said, Jesus is the only answer. You can do all of these things. You can purpose in your heart that I'm going to stop this and I'm going to do that. And this is to us today. I'm going to do better with my time. I'm going to redeem it. I'm going to invest in it. I'm going to do good things. But unless it's in partnership with God and it is prompting, it is leading, you'll end up going back to your old habits tomorrow, brothers and sisters. It's holding the hand that you cannot see that is the key. And so I said to him, Jesus is the answer. And I said, I am convinced. What's your name? And he said, Jaden. I said, Jaden, I am convinced that if you call on the name of Jesus, 
He is going to help you with this, and then I'm going to see you straightened out down the line. I'm convinced of it. And he was a bit stunned. My bus is pulling in. And I said, I want you to say this. Lord Jesus, help me. Call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And he said, Lord Jesus, help me. And all I can say to you is this. When I sat down next to him, being honest here, I was like angry at him for the experience that I'd had. I didn't feel any love for him. But I wanted to hug that guy and tell him that I loved him as I walked away in that exchange. And that tells me that God was in the moment. Because only God can do that. Yeah. So pray for Jaden. Yeah. And as I'm driving away, he's sitting there like a bottle of cider like this, looking at me as I'm going away. And he and, and all I can say is, as I kind of considered the atmos in the spirit, there was like a swirling going on around us in those moments. And as people were overhearing what was being said, there was a lot of Holy Spirit activity because the enemy thinks it's got him. But he called on the name of the Lord and he will be saved. So whatever time Jesus has given you, don't be afraid to be brave and stupid with it in the best sense of the word. Don't be, don't be afraid to step out and think, okay, I'll try. God will meet you in that. If your heart is to serve him and use your time wisely, then God will start to shift and move things in your life unlike anything that you've seen before. Today is the day, okay? Today is the day. I read this on um, LinkedIn, and I'm nearly finished. Sorry if I've been running over. How long do I have left? Sorry? <laughs> I am nearly finished. How long do I have? For forever, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a time and a season for everything under the sun. Right, got it, got it. I saw this on um, LinkedIn the other day, and it just really spoke to me. Maybe it'll speak to you. 20 years from now, the only people that will remember you worked late or checked emails on weekends will be your kids. Your boss won't remember it. Your colleague might. What are you doing with your time? We don't have today again. Whatever you do in this next moment, I'm not going to be cheesy, but it is a gift to you because I don't know what tomorrow will bring. I don't know what in an hour from now will bring. And if I'm always waiting for, that's when I'm going to step out a bit more, God. That, that's when I'll trust you because I've just got too much going on at the moment. There's a lot going on. God understands that. But it's not an excuse for you to give all of that into the hands of God because he governs your affairs. All things work together for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. 90 seconds. So what's it all about? 
That's quite a big question, isn't it? What's it all about? The Westminster Shorter Catechism, written in 1646 and 1647, says, what is the chief end of man? And it says this, and you know this, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. There's a time and a season for everything under the sun, but that's a constant. Has anyone um, ever read Lord of the Rings? It's my last thought. Um, anyone seen Lord of the Rings? Okay, so I remember, I remember reading that book when I was really young and then seeing it brought to life. I've talked about movies a lot today. I just want you to know <laughs> that I don't watch that much. I'm just reflecting back over the years. Um, but I remember when I read Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, and in its exchange between Frodo and Gandalf. And it's a non-visual moment. It's a very quiet conversation between the two of them as Frodo's considering what he's called to do, okay? And because Tolkien was a Christian, we can share this this morning, can't we? We have the... And when I first read it, and then when I saw it in the movies, it really spoke to my heart. And it said this, so Frodo... I wish, I, need, I wish it need not have happened in my lifetime, said Frodo. And Gandalf says to him, so do I. And so do all who live to see such times. This is a word to you guys today. But that's not for them to decide. All we have to do is decide what to do with the time that has been given to us. All we have to do is decide what to do with the time that is given to us. That's the challenge to you and I today. Yeah. Let's be a people that maximize our time for the glory of God. And to him be all the praise and the glory. Amen.